Thanks for tuning into Upward Way podcast. If you're looking to be spiritually blessed, moved and inspired, there is no doubt you are in the right place. On our show, guests recount their encounter with Christ and how their lives have been transformed through the grace and love of God. And now, please welcome our host. Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today is the principal of the Axis International School in Kichijoji, Tokyo. He also serves as an elder at the Tokyo Central International Seventh-day Adventist Church. Daniel Marr, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Marlon. And I look forward to my testimony being a blessing to us. It is my joy to have you here today. And I must also say thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your story with us. My first question to you is this. Could you just walk us through your journey and share with us how it is that you came to being a Christian? Certainly. Um, yes, it's a very different background for most people, I guess. Um, I was born as a Christian into a Christian family. Um, Actually, I should back up a little bit because uh, what happened before my birth really sets the tone, I think, for my life. I am the son of a Catholic priest. My father was a, a missionary priest in Africa. Uh, he left off the war and in Germany and then moved to South Africa. Um, he then met my mother. She came to work at his um, mission station. She was one of a couple of other ladies that went to work there in Africa for a year as a missionary volunteer. They fell in love, and my father then wrote to the Pope, and he said, um, you know, the scriptures don't tell me that I cannot marry. And apparently, uh, I heard this from my mother, she says that the Pope replied to my father and said uh, that he is correct. The Bible does not forbid him from marrying, but... I, as the Pope, forbid you from marrying. <laughs> and my father said, well, if the Bible doesn't stop me, that means God doesn't stop me from marrying. So I will go ahead with this marriage. And he then married my mother. And then I was born. And uh, he unfortunately passed away a few years later, not long after that. But before he passed away, uh, he was then in the Anglican Church because of the marriage he had been, he was kicked out of the Catholic Church. Um, him and my mother, it was a national scandal. Um, recently, my wife has seen the newspaper clippings. My mother kept them. And as a child growing up, I would see them. Um, front page news of the Sunday national newspaper. <laughs> you know, a Catholic priest runs off with a nun. <laughs> Even though my mother wasn't a nun, but that's what they build her as. And um, so we were Anglicans and I was growing older. And I, not that I resisted being baptized, it's just I didn't feel the need to be baptized. My sisters had gone through the confirmation classes and well, the baptismal classes, and I was the oldest child, and I hadn't done anything like that. But I came to my last year of high school, and I thought, oh, you know, just to please my mother, okay, I'll go. The, the, Catholic, uh, the Anglican Church was running a sort of seminar for the youth, and I thought, okay, I will, I will join. Well, in the uh, first lesson that we started, the priest told us that 
you know, the Bible has two parts. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, you know, Jesus lived in the New Testament times. And so we're going to focus on the New Testament because we want to focus on Jesus' words and his teachings. And so I said, the Old Testament is just history. And we don't really need that. We don't need that part. And you know, I had been reading my Bible all this time. I grew up reading it every day. And so I knew that, you know, Jesus's teachings referred back to the Old Testament. And after the meeting, I went home and I phoned the priest and I said, look, I'm sorry, what you just said there was just nonsense, he said. I said, we definitely need the Old Testament to be able to understand what Jesus is teaching us. And, you know, I guess he must have thought, who is this 18-year-old <laughs> trying to challenge the priest? Um, not that I wanted to challenge him, but I just want to stand up and say, this is not biblical. This is not right. And so as a result of that, I was kicked out of the baptismal classes to my mother's great distress because <laughs> she you know, grew up in a very staunch Catholic family. As I said, she was a missionary volunteer for a year prior to that. My mother had been very active in her Catholic church. She was a youth leader. She was even involved in smuggling Bibles into Eastern Germany um, when the war went up. So she was very, very active as a young person in her church. And so for me not to be baptized, it was a serious issue for her. Well, it wasn't long after that that we then had um, people knocking on our door to offer Bible studies. You know, we had the Mormon people coming and a few other groups, and I welcomed them. I was very interested in Bible studies, but I debated them all out of the house. They couldn't, you know, beat me, so to speak. Um, and then the Adventists came, and I welcomed them also into my living room. <laughs> and we spoke with each other, and I realized that I really have no argument with the Adventists. What they're saying is very, very biblical. And so we then agreed to begin um, baptismal classes, and in the course of a year, uh, my whole family was then baptized. And so that's how I sort of came to the church in a very interesting way, I guess. Quite an interesting way indeed. Quite a remarkable story. And I really found it very enjoyable. Now, what were some of the noticeable differences that you would have observed when you first joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Uh, there wasn't. Too big a difference, I would say. I mean, I remember people telling us, you know, watch out, you're going to lose your friends. <laughs> There's going to be a big change. Um, I didn't have that many close friends. Yes, I had people at school that I knew, but nobody, not many really close people. Uh, my best friend that uh, I met on the first day of high school had left me at this time. Um, at the end of high school, our last year, we were two young men that used to just enjoy each other's company on the weekends and going out playing tennis and uh, hiking and, and swimming and doing things like that, that young people do. But in the last year, he somehow got this idea that, you know, because we don't know any girls, we're not going to be able to marry. <laughs> and so he decided, well, we have to get girls <laughs> to get girls. We're going to have to go to parties. And I was not interested in going to those parties because every weekend, all the parties consisted of was, trying to see how many beers you could drink as quickly as you can and to see how drunk you can get and to see all the foolish things that you would do. And people would talk about that on Monday morning in school. <laughs> I was not interested. And so we kind of sort of naturally parted. So I didn't have to lose a friend as such. Um, what I did really enjoy was the biblical nature because I was questioning my mother. I remember 
in the um, Anglican Church, they have the creed that you say every Sunday. And it, there's a part which says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And I question that. I say, why must I express belief in the Catholic Church, right, when I'm an Anglican? And my friends explained that to me and said, no, Catholic means that universal. It doesn't necessarily refer to a denomination. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. Um, but still, I like the Adventist approach of saying our creed is the Bible. It's not one document, you know, but it is actually the Bible that we believe in, the whole Bible. And I enjoyed that very, very much. There were things like um, the issue of Christmas. What do we do for Christmas? What do we do for Easter? Um, there were changes like that. My mother coming from a very traditional background, uh, Catholic background, and, and also being the wife of a Catholic priest. And uh, yeah, the Catholic priest, my dad took his, you know, his uh, events very seriously. Christmas was a big deal in my, in my family when I was young. Um, Easter was a big, big deal. Uh, even though we weren't Catholic anymore, it seems a number of those traditions still carried over. For example, even though we were Adventists, my mother still had a St. Mary um, in our living room. It was a statue of about a meter tall that my grandmother had sent her. And grandmother said, look, please pray to her every night. She's going to protect you. She also sent us little St. Christopher's to put by the windows so the evil spirits don't come in. And uh, myself and my sisters would question my mom. So look, why do we need to do this? You know, our new faith has taught us this is not biblical. But my mother, who was steeped in a Catholicism, she grew up as a child in the Catholic faith. It still carried over. And as the Anglican, it was easy to incorporate that. But as Adventists, we had to challenge that and say, look, that's not okay. That's not right. Yeah. And then, you know, things like at Easter time, we used to, as German tradition, you bake um, a special cake. We used to have a uh, cake in the shape of a lamb. And it used to be one big one to represent Christ. And then the little lambs were for each of the family members. And every Easter, we used to take that to the priest, put it on the altar, and it would be blessed during the service. And then Easter morning, you come home when Christ is supposed to be risen. And that's part of the special breakfast that you have. So even though we're um, Adventists, we still had those. And we had to mentally go through the point of rejecting these things say look they are not biblical yeah so those are just some of the the things we had to rub up against as we made our change remarkable remarkable i'm just blown away listening to you recounting all of those experiences we know that people invest quite a lot of energy into developing their bodies their careers and different interests but oftentimes they neglect that spiritual dimension now how do you invest in your own spiritual development? Hmm, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, well, when I grew up, I was, as I mentioned, I, I used to read the Bible every night before going to bed. Um, this is before I was an Adventist and we didn't have Sabbath schools. I would just read the Bible through, and I knew a lot um, as a young person growing up. Um, then when I became an Adventist, we had the quarterly and that was very helpful. Uh, but for me, I was really interested in the practical side of it. It was I had developed a lot of theory, and I wanted I couldn't see the practice. Let's practice and put these things into practice. Um, so I guess that's what's been a bit on my personal bias. I'm trying to see how can I practically live uh, out the gospel. And so um, 
yeah, I've done a lot of studying, but um, in the last few years, this is really the last half of my life really has been, how can I make it as practical as possible? And um, I guess when I then became an elder at TIC and I needed to start to preach, I thought, well, let me pick on the topics that I'm really interested in. And maybe other people will be interested in them as well. And I've already got a bit of a head start. I've been thinking about it for years, but now let me really dig into it. And so you may have noticed some of the themes, it's just coming down to practical Christianity about how do we care about other people? How do we share with other people? Uh, what does the Bible talk about this community uh, of faith? And so it's been a challenge of mine to do that. And it's been, yeah, difficult, I should say, to, to, uh, to do that. But at the same time, I should also say that when I look back, I can really see how the Lord has blessed and led. I never imagined it would have ended up like this. But now I tell my high school students that are studying business, I tell them, if you plan to go into business, you'd be foolish not to become a Christian and not to know Christ. Because in the 20 odd years that I've been in business, and believe me, I had tried many businesses when I was a young person because <laughs> I realized that's the only way I can make some money. And I, I came from a family that didn't have much money. And I was taught, you have to work if you want money. I said, that's no problem. I don't mind working, <laughs> you know, but a lot of my ventures failed and I didn't have success. And really coming to Tokyo was the first time I had success, but it required a lot of faith. And many times we didn't know when the money was coming in and how things would work out. But the Lord has kept us safe and going until today. So it's really a combination of things um, that have helped me to keep going. It's studying the scriptures and then thinking about how I can apply it to my practical life, having this opportunity to have a business and the responsibility that goes with it. And then realizing sometimes you just really don't know how it's all going to work out, but you can trust in the Lord to, to lead one through that. But you can only do that if you have that trust. And that's why I tell my students, being a Christian is really important if you're thinking of being a businessman. And I think there's so many businessmen that get stressed out and have financial ruin without knowing Christ when it doesn't need to be that way. And in fact, Christ is the best insurance policy for your business to see you through. Um, a bit off topic, maybe, but that's sort of how I grow my spirituality. <laughs> yeah. It's not just reading the scriptures or reading a particular devotional book. I'm reading and I'm trying to put into practice and going between the two. That's quite a bit of wisdom there that you have just imparted to us. And I must hasten to say that you are really and truly not off topic. It's really right on point. It's really important. What I also enjoy was the fact that you stressed the importance of practicability. Of course, it's not enough for us to be theoretically to be theoretically averse, being able to answer questions and to know what to say at the right time. But it's about putting in practice that which we have been taught, that which we are preaching. So that is really and truly important. And that was one of the things that Christ highlighted during his earthly ministry. Now, in terms of your transition from your homeland in South Africa to Tokyo, what was that really like? And also further, as it relates to going into business, what was that experience like? Really, the, the two are intertwined. Um, I was in South Africa then. I After I graduated from high school, I did my military service, which was the uh, compulsory at the time. And then I 
needed to work or do something to pay my way through college. Uh, I had saved up a little bit of money, but not a lot. And then when I managed to get to college, um, I was studying theology. The professors told me that you will be required to do a lot of practical work together with your theology course. And they advised us to try and get that done as soon as possible, because once you're in your third and fourth year and you're studying Greek and you've got the higher level academic courses, it's going to be much harder to give Bible studies and do evangelistic campaigns and do all the practical work that they want you to do. Since I had already, uh, before I studied theology, I'd already done a year. I'd enrolled at a correspondence college in South Africa because I didn't have the money to go to the Adventist college. But I thought, let me just do what I can. And so I signed up then for mathematics and computer science classes. So when I was at the Adventist college and hearing this advice, I said, oh, you know, I'm already jumping in at around the second year. Um, I better get started <laughs> uh, with my practical work. So I looked around, what can I do? And the college offered us the colporteuring service during the, the summer. And I was not too keen on that because I had heard that the college is bringing in professional salespeople to teach us how we can sell the Bible. And that, wasn't, that didn't sit too comfortably with me. I said, I don't mind selling a Bible to someone, but I, when I sell it to them, I want to know that they really want it, not because of a sales technique that I've applied that has sort of made them feel, oh, I better take it from the student because I'm actually supporting them as well when I buy the Bible. I didn't want that at all. And I also heard then that the techniques that were being applied by the top salespeople was something called neuro-linguistic programming. And I confronted my teacher about this and he said, oh, you've got no evidence, you know, about this, you know, how dangerous this is. Well, I wrote to the person that made the video and he sent me a whole package full of all copies of the documents they use in the videos. And I showed it to my professor <laughs> and he still dismissed it. It's, oh, it's not dangerous. It's not nonsense. Um, maybe just for your listeners, if they don't know, neuro-linguistic programming is something that the top magicians in the world use. And indeed, the top salesmen use it. It's linked to courses in magic. In fact, when you study it, uh, there are two courses, I believe. And when you study the second most advanced course, you do get into magic. And um, top magicians around the world use it and try and convince you that you really want the object that they're trying to convince you to have. <laughs> Right. So the magician might say, oh, you know, I can guess what you want for your birthday. But what they're really doing is they're convincing you uh, that you want what they actually tell you you want. I, thought, I don't want that for the Bible <laughs> at all. I'm not interested. If people want to have the Bible, I'll be happy to give it to them, happy to sell it to them. But they must genuinely want it. And I thought, what do I do? And I was praying to the Lord and asking him what I should do in the situation. And uh, it so happened shortly afterwards that I received a fax from Pastor Mark. My sister had been in Tokyo and uh, she was on her way to Korea. Uh, our country didn't have a diplomatic mission in South Korea at the time. So all South Africans had to be processed in Tokyo and Pastor Mark took care of them. So they would come here. Uh, they would wait for two or three weeks at the union offices while their visa was processed for South Korea. So she met Pastor Mark, spent some time with them. And she found out that at that time, the missionary program did not require a completed degree. And so she told me that. And I wrote to Pastor Mark and I said, you know, could I join the program? And uh, he wrote, he sends me a fax. 
And he said, someone just canceled. And uh, I need to know by tomorrow whether you can come. I thought, whoa, <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> you know. Um, but in my family, if I look back, I haven't told you, but these things happen in my family. When my, my mother came to South Africa with just 24 hours notice, you know, same thing. My mother was working. She had a dream to go to Africa, but she didn't know how she would ever end up there. Remember, in these days, you couldn't just hop on a flight. Airplanes had just started flying commercially. It was expensive. Not many people flew. How is she going to get to Africa? She comes home to visit her mom on the weekend because she was working by the stage. And she finds my dad. Uh, anyway, it's a long story. Anyway, so he stayed at my mom's house. And he said, look, I'm going back to Africa tomorrow. Do you want to come back with me? <laughs> so literally, not even 24 hours. She just had overnight, 12 hours to pack her bags. And because it was a dream, she thought, okay, I'll go. I'm jumping ahead a bit, but this is how I ended up here. Just, I received a fax from Pastor Mark. We have a vacancy. Someone canceled. Do you want to come? Sure. Quite hilarious. Quite amazing. You know, I was told that in sales, there is this popular saying that the very thing that you are seeking after, the thing that you are pursuing, is actually on the other side of the spectrum, seeking after you. So in that case, we could see that things even themselves out for you. Now, currently, you serve as the principal of an educational institution, Access International School. What is a typical day like for you? All right. Um, yes, it's a very small school. We started as a, as a homeschool program, which is, of course, very different to a traditional school. Um, we've now transitioned to that, but even though we've made the transition officially, it's still a very tiny school, and we're waiting for our classes to grow. Um, so I wear many hats. You know, my day starts in the morning. Um, right now it's 7.30. It, it could be, it was 6.30 at one point where I start with driving the school bus. And I finish my bus route around 8.30 and I come back to school. And at 8.45, we then have an assembly with our students. And I do participate in two of those. I need to... Um, host two of those and the other days I have teachers that also help me to host and so the children get a bit of variety of the talks uh, and then from nine o'clock my classes start I need to teach classes at the moment I'm teaching grade four and grade seven as their homeroom teacher and then I teach uh, all the math classes from grade four and up so that's quite a variety of classes that I need to teach and when there's PE time, I'll do PE. I'll actually go out with the children, run around with them. So it helps me to, to uh, get my exercise every day. <laughs> Otherwise, I might just be stuck behind a desk, you know, grading. <laughs> um, and then school finishes at three o'clock for the international school program. And after three o'clock, we then have private lessons. Um, we have a few ESL lessons of children that come in in the afternoons. Um, and I do a couple of those. But Generally, my afternoons are for administration work. Uh, it's for grading. It's for doing reports that I need to write, having meeting with parents, meeting with teachers. That all gets done in the afternoon. That's quite a day, a day packed with lots of activities. I notice when you speak, you mention that you do quite a bit of reading. What book 
or what books have you read that have had the greatest impact on your life? Ah, <laughs> um, yes. Someone asked me a, a year or so ago, and I didn't actually thought I read that many books. But when I look back, I think I actually do have quite a few. <laughs> Um, recently, I think in the last two years or so, the books that I really enjoy reading are by a professor, sorry, Dr. Kenneth Bailey. He is uh, one person that I have been reading a lot of his books on. And I guess the big one also is um, Pastor from America, Pastor Goya. I really, uh, the last year or two, these are two big things, big things I've been going through. Pastor Goya is familiar with some people, maybe with talks on prayer. And uh, we really want to understand prayer better. It's really, really important. I mean, it's, a, it's the breath of the soul. It's, it's how we stay in contact with God. So Pastor Goya's videos, I went through a lot of those. Uh, I don't know if I watched all of them, but watched those to get inspiration and insight. And then Dr. Bailey, um, he is really uh, profound. Um, what happened there was I was in America and uh, I had some downtime. And a friend recommended a sermon to me, and uh, I listened to the sermon, and I realized this pastor was really amazing because he knew a lot of the background to the culture. And I know I studied, you know, theology from Columbia Union College, and I did the history courses, but I didn't learn the culture of the Jewish people. And I thought, wow, you know, there's so much depth that we can glean. There's so many nuances that we are missing if we just don't know that. And so I just went to Amazon and I got a whole bunch of books that were recommended by the reviews. <laughs> and uh, most of them were absolute nonsense. I mean, people just, as my high school professor used to say, they're just thumbnology. They're just sucking it out of their thumb. you know. <laughs> but Dr. Bailey really stood out. And I, I'd highly recommend his books to any of your listeners. He's not about church. But the reason he stands out, because he's a true scholar. This man grew up and lived in the Middle East uh, for over 40 years. He knows the nuances in the culture. And it's just amazing. And uh, after I started to incorporate his material into my sermons, I mean, people have been blown away um, with the things that I was able to share. It really, it didn't change so much what the Bible had to say, but it really made it much, much, so much deeper. Um, so Kenneth Bailey has been one that I'm reading, uh, or that I have been reading to uh, get more insights about the Bible. And I haven't stopped because it's just so much that I want to know. And really, he stands up because he actually lived there. Very few scholars, the other ones that were all recommended, I couldn't see that they had lived there. Maybe they had a holiday there, they had done some archaeological digs to spend some time there. But this man actually lived there amongst the people. He knew what, what was going on, and it shows in his writing. Again, for my listeners, the two authors that would have had the greatest impact would have been Dr. Kenneth Bailey and also Pastor Pavel Goya. As Christians, we go through our own fair share of doubts, fears, insecurities, and the list goes on. However, oftentimes persons don't recognize that though we are Christians and we walk with God, we will have these challenges. Has there ever been a point in your journey where you would have experienced the greatest doubt as to what would have been God's plans for your life? Yes, I have. I've had my share of doubts. Um, you know, it's, it comes especially when things don't work out as planned. And uh, that's hard. 
you know, because you make a plan and it doesn't work out. But then you know, that's where then have to go back to the Bible and, and remind, remember the Bible stories and remember things don't always work out the way we want them to do. And I remind myself also that the Lord has many, many different ways, which I am not even aware of to solve the problem. And I then in my prayer life, I go back to the Lord and I, I, con- I reconfirm with him. I say, look, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened. So that means I know that what I'm doing, or at least what I started, I started with a good, clear conscience. And I then go to the Lord and I talk to him and I say, look, I don't understand what is happening right now. And sometimes he comes through, sometimes he doesn't. And I find that there's a different way of, you know, in which we go forward then. But, um, you know, there have been times when I thought our school would not be able to make it. I thought we were going bankrupt, but here we are. And in the middle of COVID, when you're hearing a lot of bankruptcies, yes, it's tough, but I can definitely say now that the Lord is taking care of us. He's going ahead of us. I've seen quite a few now over my years. I think my doubting is maybe less and less. I'm not sure if that's objective, (laughs) if it's just my feeling, but I think it's less because I'm starting to realize, I'm just starting to experience this joy in just resting in Jesus. You know, if he wants the business to go, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can make the boat sink right? Not the biggest storms in the world will make the boat sink if Jesus is in the boat and he wants it to keep going. It'll go no matter how much water splashes in and how it may appear to be sinking. (laughs) That's what I've learned. And I realized I just have to learn to let go more and just trust God. As long as I've confirmed the beginning that that's what he wants, then I shouldn't worry. Okay. What I take away from what you just said is the importance of trusting God more and more. I find that to be absolutely important. And I know this is not my interview. It is actually your interview. But I can't help but share that my favorite Bible passage happens to be Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. God speaks to us through a myriad of different ways. He speaks to us through dreams, through visions, through other people, through his word, through nature. How would you say that God often speaks to you the most? Well, ironically, maybe it's through my business that I see him speaking to me the most. You know, when things get tough and I just have no, I don't know how it's going to work out. That's when I see him speak to me. I'll just give you a very quick example. You know, when this uh, COVID happened, this was in the beginning of last year. It was it March, April, somewhere there. When we had the lockdown, we didn't teach classes at school, but we made arrangements to have classes online for our students. We used Zoom, we used Google Hangouts, we used Line. Uh, whatever the teacher felt was comfortable and best for their particular class, they used. And the parents were very happy. I mean, they gave us excellent reviews for what we did. But some of them actually said, look, you know, normally our kids are with you at school till six o'clock, but you only taught them online till three (laughs) o'clock. So since you didn't work the whole day, we're not going to pay you. And they tell me this a couple of days before they're supposed to pay me. Right. And I need that money to pay salaries in a few days. So that was really a tight situation. 
And I remember sending an email to the, the teachers then. I said, look, I'm sorry. You know, this is the unfortunate reality. I have parents who have suddenly said they're not going to pay me um, the full price because we're not taking care of their children until six o'clock. And they had a point. It was just true. But it was just a handful. Most of the parents were very grateful and they continued paying us, even though we only taught their kids till three o'clock. But, you know, it was amazing, Marlon, how some parents didn't pay. And then someone out of the blue paid us um, more than enough money to cover what we couldn't, what those parents were refusing to pay. And I've seen that time and again. And through the lockdown, too, you know, we had parents suddenly saying, oh, I can't pay. I've lost my job. And we said, don't worry. And we've really seen how the Lord worked. I know one time my accountant said, oh, you qualify for some stimulus money. I thought, great. And but nothing is for free, you know. <laughs> Again, we had an event where a parent or two said, "Look, I'm sorry, I can't pay." And we're talking about a year's, you know, payment. So they're paying, you know, maybe two million yen at one time, or half a year. So it's about a million yen at one time. And then it's just when these things happen, I then see how the Lord is really taking care of us. And there's so I don't know the Bible verse, but there's a verse in the Bible that says, "The Lord will be a rear guard and your vanguard." right? He's going ahead and he's also going behind. You don't have to worry about anything. Just stay on the road with him. And that sometimes can be scary because we can't maybe see past him in the front. And, you know, when we look back, we can't see all the trouble that's coming up from behind us. Yeah. So we're in this sort of bubble. And I think that's maybe the scary part of being a Christian. As human, we can't see way ahead into the future and we can't see what's sneaking up from behind always. And so, Really, what I'm learning is that being a Christian is the best way to go through this life, as hard as it may seem. That's human. And you have brought me to a question I contemplated whether or not I should throw at you. But here goes. What is the hardest thing about being a Christian? And now you mentioned that it's something that happened at our school where I have some Christian children. And these Christian children, they are outnumbered because most of the children in the school are not Christian. And because they were newcomers, they wanted to get into the in-group. But the in-group isn't made up of Christian children. And my wife happened to hear them talking one day. And they said, well, we know that so-and-so is a Christian, but why are they doing the things that we are doing? Because these children knew that Christian children may object or they might not want to do that or talk a certain way, right? Um, and then I realized that, you know, we are being watched very, very closely and our life is really a sermon to the people around us. And I realized how careful I need to then be. Sometimes, you know, I let my God down. I can't be this perfect person all the time. You know, uh, terrible things happen. You know, basically I'm a vegetarian, but when I travel overseas, I will have the odd chicken, the odd beef sometimes, because I know we're traveling in airports and they don't always have access to vegetarian food. I don't always know where the vegetarian counters are, <laughs> where the options are. You know, having these differences, it allows, my, it allows me to explain things to my children. As I say, I'm mostly non-Christian. So that's where it gets sometimes difficult. I have to be careful because people will ask questions and you need to explain. And that then comes down to a practical faith then. How practical are you or is it just theory? Yeah. Indeed, it's about being able to answer those deep questions, those all-important questions, because sometimes we seem to stick out like a dangerous nail, and people will say, 
Are you for real? Now on to a more somber question. What would you say from your experience is one of the maybe contributing factors that cause people to just walk away from the faith? Yeah, I think a lot of the time people are not very real. You know, they get excited, I'm now a Christian, and then they realize when it comes to where the rubber meets the road, it's sometimes a little bit different. And so because of that difference, people then give up instead of challenging themselves and say, well, how can I respond as a Christian in an effective way? I think most of us, we get used to at a very early age to put everything in a box, right? And so the word Christian is just another box, another label for a box. But we realize, we need to realize that Christianity isn't just made up of one set of rules, right? There's, it's made up of many cultures. It's influenced many, many people from many different backgrounds. And so we need to be comfortable saying it's okay to be a bit different. You know, one of my, I'd say, dear friends um, gave up on Christianity uh, because he found life was just too hard. And that's one thing I'm grappling with at the moment. My friend gave up because he had a really, really tough time. Uh, he was stuck in the snow. Say so winter was coming. It was cold snow outside. He had a few children. He had a wife. No money for heating when it's winter, right? What do you do? And you claim the promises of God, and then the promises don't come through. And that must be really, really hard. I've had some cases where things didn't go the way I prayed and asked the Lord to do. Thankfully, I'm still here. I could see that he led in another way. But there are some people, like my dear friend, who couldn't see another way. And it was a very critical stage. I wouldn't say life and death, but it's pretty close when you're in the snow with no heating and no food. Um, it really challenges your faith. But this is something I'm trying to understand better right now in my sermons that I'm talking about, because I need to know and understand it better. Because at some point, I might be in a situation like my friend, where I'm in a very critical situation, and I pray to the Lord, am I going to give up? That is indeed tough. That's that's not easy to deal with. And it's true, sometimes we can't find the answers as to why things go the way they go. Not everything that we pray about, not everything that we ask, despite the Bible saying, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find. Not everything we ask for, we receive. And not all requests that we make to God, he really responds the way we expect him to respond. Now, in a conversation with someone who has never heard about God or maybe doesn't really believe that God exists, what would you say to this person from your own experience as to who God is? I would say God is the most loving and caring person you will ever find. He does not let us down. But sometimes it does appear that he does let us down. I've had too many situations where I could see that he really took care of the matter. Things that snuck up from behind were, or things that came out uh, up ahead. Whether it's, you know, uh, tax payments of a few million yen that uh, my accountant didn't warn me about and I was surprised. And then lo and behold, you know, I get someone paying me more than enough money to pay that tax bill you know 
And here's the thing, the people paid me a year before they were supposed to come to Japan. Does that make any sense? You know, <laughs> I almost thought we had to close down the school once because when we were much smaller at one point, I had a number of students leave me. I think we were only about 20 odd students and I had eight students leave me almost overnight. Now, two students I know were leaving because one was graduating and one was transferring to another school. We knew about it. We could make plans. But the other six, we had no clue about them at all. You know, they would sometimes complain, but they weren't, how can I say, maybe the, the most studious of students. <laughs> and they were just trying to, you know, they would get their parents to say, oh, they did the homework. We should see they didn't do the homework. They were complaining many times. And I think at just at this one point, they just sort of boiled over. And uh, they just decided it was one family of, of uh, three children that decided to quit. And they complained and talked to a few other people. And so we ended up having about eight people leave, if I believe, if I remember right. And I thought, what are we going to do? This was in April. And um, we just prayed and we just kept on going, staying the course, right? Stayed the course. That's what we need to do because the Lord hasn't told us to change. So we stayed the course. By that summer, I had eight or even maybe a couple more students joining, which was amazing. So yes, I did have a bit of a financial loss. The group left between April and the new ones only came, I think they started in September. So there were a few months there. So right, the Lord takes care. He lets you go through that experience. So we were able to make up the money later because we're not only running on, on uh, breaking even. There is a God. So if someone's a skeptic, I'd say, try God. Just try God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What is one thing you think God is calling you to do right now? If you could start one ministry, what would it be? And also, who would it serve? Wow. Um, um, you know, right now, we have our hands full with the school. And so our ministry is really the school and... Um, getting that going, there's so much that more that can be done uh, at the school. Um, I was just thinking, you know, what can I do for my students to have a better walk with Christ? And for a long time, we've been mentioning or been thinking about, it would be nice if we could have a pastor that could visit the school and have like a, a Bible club for the students. And I was talking with someone just a couple of days ago, and it was a pastor's wife. And she said, yes, I'll be happy to run the club for you. So it looks like that might be a dream come true. And looks like that's a new ministry the Lord's going to lead us in. Not totally new, but it's going to provide a space in our school where kids can come and they want to learn more about the Bible. And this is now for older kids. We have something for the younger kids where they have a craft time, they sing Bible songs. But I'm talking about junior high students that maybe are beyond the craft and the singing, and they really have questions about life, practical questions. You know, how should I live my life? What does God want me to do? What's the relevance of God in my life? That is indeed something to look forward to. And since we're on the matter of school, there might be someone who is listening who may want an alternative to get a good or a balanced education. Would you mind sharing with our listeners where they could actually find this school in case there's someone who would like to? Yeah, so we're based in uh, Kichijoji. It's on the western side of Tokyo. It's not officially part of Tokyo. Uh, it's part of what we call the greater Tokyo area. 
Uh, there's a bit of snobbery. You have the 23 cities that make up Tokyo. <laughs> and uh, some people like to say they're in the 23 cities. We're just outside of that. Um, you know, Shinjuku and Harajuku and all these places are not far by train from where we are. But it's a beautiful place. We have a nice park. It's a nice town outside of um, Tokyo, a real town atmosphere. So it's really a nice place to live. And more and more foreigners are actually choosing to live in this part of Tokyo. In fact, it's been voted the last three or four years, I believe, uh, as the best place to live together with another place in Tokyo. So it came tied for the first spot on the best place where to live. We do have a website if uh, your listeners would like to have a look at that. Um, it'll be www.axisk.com. That's Axis K. We used to say Axis Kitchi Georgie, but then the name got too long. So, but it's still on the website, AxisK.com. They could find out um, about signing up their students for our American program. Yeah. There you have it. We have been speaking with Daniel Marr the principal of Axis International School in Kichijoji, Tokyo. He also serves as an elder at the Tokyo Central International Seventh-day Adventist Church. Just before we go, Daniel, do you have a final word to share with our listeners? Uh, yes, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, and it's a quote by George Miller, and this is regarding the practical Christian life. It's from his book, Answers to Prayer. I don't have the page number because I bought the ebook. It's chapter 11. He says the following words. He says, truly, it is worth being poor and greatly tried in faith for the sake of having day by day such precious proofs of the loving interest which our kind father takes in everything that concerns us. I can really honestly say that, yes, as I learn to um, let go, right, as I choose to be poor, Right, as I choose to give away the things that God has given me, I can really say that what George Mueller is saying is really true. You can see the loving interest that God takes in each one of us every single day. And you don't get that in any other way unless you share and give up. And I think that's what a lot of Christians are missing. Uh, but that is the practical Christian life. And if I look at how the early Christians lived, they shared everything everything was in community. They helped each other. Um, this is something I'm thinking about at the moment and trying to dig deeper into to have better insights, apart from all the wonderful promises that there are in the scripture. We've mentioned some of them, but this one really um, stands out for me right now. Thank you, Daniel, for those gems. And thank you, my listeners, for tuning in to The Upward Way. Do join us again next week for another episode as we will have another interesting guest sharing his or her story. Be blessed. You've been listening to the Upward Way podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world.